Okay, we are in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. The book of Revelation is the book that is concerned about the things that are yet to come. Unlike history, where we can look back at what happened, or unlike the present that we are a part of right now, the hard thing about the future is that it can be very confusing and very mystical because at the end of the day, it's unknown. And many people have tried to guess through you know, scripture and through prophecy and through all these other ways of what the end is going to look like. But luckily for us, we have scripture that God gives us the book of Revelations to reveal what is to come. Now, I want to say this as a small cameo. I said this right at the beginning. We don't get all the answers. You know, you don't read the last book of Revelation and it tells you word for word what the end of the world is going to look like. And I personally think that God does this on purpose. Because I think if we knew exactly what was to come, I don't think that we would learn to trust in God who does know what is to come. I think God reveals to us exactly what we need. And even with our own understanding of Scripture, He gives to us exactly what we need. And we have to trust God. So the story so far in this book that we've been going through is that we see that God's desire is to redeem the earth that he created. Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And God's desire is to go back to that place in Genesis where perfect creation was before sin, before all the rubbish came. And, 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 but for God to do that, for God to take it back to original creation, God needs to clean it up. He needs to clean up the mess that the inhabitants of earth have created, and that's us. And he ultimately needs to clear the accounts that we as man have drawn up. We have racked up the bills. Humanity has racked up the bills. We've lived lives, whatever we wanted to do. And at the end of the day, God is going to come back and ask for an explanation. In the last few weeks, we've been uh, reading through Revelations. We've seen terrible images of God's uh, wrath being executed on earth. And we're going to read a little bit more of that today. But as horrible as it is to read, um, it's, it's hard for us to believe this, but this is actually God's perfect plan of redemption of his creation. And it's hard for us to understand this, but for God to bring it back to the place of perfection, he needs to clean up the mess. And sometimes when you clean up the mess, it gets dirty. And that's what we're reading through the book of Revelation. So today we're in Revelation 15 and 16, where we're going to see the very last of God's cleanup process occur. So let's begin in Revelation 15 verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them, God's wrath is completed. Now, we're going to see seven angels turn up with what Scripture tells us is the seven last plagues. 
Now, in verse 6, it, it expands a bit further. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chest. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Revelation 16.1, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. So that's what's happening in these two chapters. Seven angels with the final seven plagues, they turn up, they're given seven bowls, and inside of these bowls is the wrath of God, and they're commanded to go pour the wrath of God on the earth, and this is the cleanup process, God's cleanup process of earth. Now, I just want to quickly pause there, and, and that, there's that statement, go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on earth. And, and a question that we sometimes we forget to ask in Revelation, because we're hearing this happen, and then this happen, and then this happen, is the question, why? Why must God's wrath be poured out on earth? Why, why must there be all these terrible things that happen at the end of, God, uh, end of the time, end of time? And the answer is, Justice. Justice. Justice is the quality of being just, righteous, equitable, morally righteous. Justice, to explain in layman's terms, is about getting what you deserve. That's what justice is. When you do something good, you get good. That's what justice would say. You get rewarded. When you do something bad, justice would say that you should be punished. The world we live in cries out for justice all the time. And whether you know it or not, so do we. For those drivers, when we're driving on the road, we are, we are fighters for justice, especially when someone cuts us off, right? How dare they? That's why we get road rage. You know, if you're standing in a queue, right, and I would say most of us are like this, we're standing in a queue to eat. Someone cuts in. That in our minds is unacceptable, is it not? See, in, in, as much as you might not really think about, I'm a real justice kind of a person, you'd never let that happen. And it's because we are all we are all prone to desire justice. We want good people rewarded and we want bad people punished so that at the end of the day, we can say justice has been served. Now, God, when he created this world, he created it in his perfect design and he put man into this world for a specific purpose, to live and walk with God but man turned around and rebelled against God and told God, I don't want to serve you. I'm going to be my own God. And so it, when we bring that concept of sin and rebellion and we start talking about justice, from God's perspective, man who was created by God, turned away from God, went bad, sinned against God, well, in a world of justice, man must be 
punished. The sin must be punished. And this happens over and over again. Man is destructive. Man is not only destructive to themselves, they are destructive to each other, and they are destructive to the world God created. Now, if we look at the history, there are times where God enacts justice in the world. For example, the flood of Noah, where God chooses to wipe out humanity, bar the family of Noah. The plagues of Egypt to bring uh, justice to this evil nation that had gone against God's people. But on the whole, we see glimpses of God's justice. But actually, what we see more of is God's mercy of allowing sin, allowing evil to exist on earth. But when the last days come, when God returns, he will enact justice on this world. The time for his mercy will cease and justice and to the world that rejected God, the world that rebelled against God and the world that destroyed God's original creation. This justice is the reason why God's wrath or his punishment must come on earth. Because at the end of the day, man sinned against God. And therefore, when justice is served, man must be punished. Now, The next few verses talk about the seven bowls of wrath. Now, instead of me reading out these verses, and luckily for us, we studied the book of Revelations this year in the Old Testament where God brings plagues to Egypt and Pharaoh. You're going to see some very similar plagues. So there's seven bowls of wrath, right? Seven plagues that are are, are brought down on earth. The first one is festering sores. Second one, he turned the sea into blood where everything died. Third one, all the water in the rivers and springs turned into blood. Fourth, sun, this is an interesting one, the sun becomes a weapon and starts to scorch people with its fire. Fifth, they see darkness in the kingdom. Sixth, water dries up in the river and then the spirits come out of the river and what do these spirits look like? They look like frogs. Right? And then the final plague is the big plague of hailstones. Now you see, you see a lot of similarities, you know. You, you saw a lot of those um, happen in Egypt in the time of Moses and Exodus. Who was the wrath upon? Right? When we look at scripture here, right, there's a distinction. And, and God is literally pouring out his punishment on earth. But the question, the second question that I want to look at is who is being punished? And it says that it was the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Those who were being punished were those who chose to worship Satan. Now, last week in Revelations 12 to 14, we said that there's only two types of people in this world. At the end of the day, there's only two types of people in this world, right? People who worship God and people who don't worship God. That's it. That's the only distinction that's going to matter. It doesn't matter about your ethnicity. doesn't matter about your income. doesn't matter how, how many degrees or jobs you went through. When God sees you on judgment day, there's only going to be one question that's going to matter. is do you worship God or do you not worship God? And if you don't worship God, then ultimately you worship anything that isn't God and that is Satan. And the group that are being punished are the people who rejected God. And what's amazing, it's not just the people that rejected God, but these people, they're not even sorry 
for the choices that they've made. And we see this in verse 10 and 11. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. <coughs> see, what's really interesting is these people, they reject God and God is bringing down his wrath. He's punishing them. They are dying. They are in pain. They're in suffering. And yet they are not repentant meaning they are not sorry for rejecting God. They are standing by the choices that they have made in this life. What God is saying, you made the choice to reject me. Now it's time to pay the bill. Now what's interesting is, and and a question that came up while looking at this passage was, why didn't God just wipe people out? As soon as someone made the decision, you know what, I'm going to reject God. Cannot God do that? He can Why can't he, right? Why doesn't God just wipe out the people who rebelled against him immediately? Now, that in itself is a sermon, but but the big idea is the reason why God didn't wipe out these individuals immediately is because he gave them time to repent. He gave them time to come back. See, when we read Revelation, many people think of the anger and the wrath of God, right? All the chapters last like three or four sermons, right? It's just how God is mad. He is mad at, at the sin and the, and the destruction of this earth. And so he's just, you know, that's it. Time to clear, clear the debts. I'm just going to destroy everyone. And we see this angry God and we see the wrath of God. And we ask questions like, well, why would God bring so much damage and destruction to people that he created? And it's, and it's the answer. God is just and he demands justice and, and that's a good thing. But one thing that we fail to sometimes remember in the character of God in Revelation is, is that God is also a patient God. And he has allowed man the opportunity to repent over and over and over again. And that's why he didn't destroy man each, each time people rejected him. See, but this last stage when we read Revelation, it's when enough time has been given. Enough warning has been given. And even then, the people that reject God continue to reject and rebel against him. And that's it. No more chances. No more time. Time is up. Judgment day has come and true justice must be served. Friends, when we... When we come to judge the character of God, don't just judge him through one chapter of scripture or one angle of his character, but you've got to understand the wholeness of God. That's why, don't get freaked out when we read Revelation. Don't get freaked out when we, when we look at God in, in, in the last days, because yes, that is a part of God. But don't reject God and go, well, God's obviously got anger issues. You know, he's obviously unstable and he's, you know, narcissistic. No, that is one angle of God, but actually the whole character of God is who we really need to understand. And in Revelation, not only do we see the justice of God, but we also see the mercy of God. He's the creator, but he's also the one that's going to bring everything to an end as well because he's the controller. Now, There are three things. There are three things that we need to understand from this passage. Why am I laughing? Interesting question. It's hot. 
That's why I'm laughing. It's just hot. All right. Let's do this quickly. Number one. No, someone said amen when I said let's do this quickly. That's slack, guys. Three things that we need to take from this chapter, these two chapters. Number one is this. There is an end. If you read through Revelation, especially in the earlier part of Revelation, you might be thinking to yourself, it's just punishment and wrath and anger. Punishment, wrath, anger. Punishment, wrath, and anger. When will this end? When will this end? Uh, is God's plan to just continue to bring punishment on punishment? But as we read in, in Revelation 16, 17, there is an end. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. It is done. The wrath of God, the, the final punishment of God, the final cleanup of God, there is an end. It's not just, you know, God is not a sadist, just punishing and punishing and punishing. But there is an end. Not only is it an end to the plagues and the bowls of wrath of God, but it is an end to the pain and suffering that God's people have been enduring on earth. See, remember, this letter was written for the Christians at the time who were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And John writes this to, to encourage them to hang on, endure, be faithful to God, even through torture and torment, because there is an end. You know, you know how we get through the heat of today? You know how you got through the heat of yesterday? And man, last night was so hot, right? It's because you know that there is cool weather coming later. Can you imagine if, if the weather report was like, it's going to be 40 for the rest of your life, right? People would go crazy. Like you literally would lose your mind if you were like, is it going to be this hot and is it going to be this sticky for the rest of my life? I don't want to live like this. But you know that it's not going to be hot. You know, by, by, by in an hour's time, you're going to walk out and there's going to be a nice, cool breeze. And some of you are going to get the cold because of the southern weather change, but that's, that's your fault, okay? You have low immunity. You need to drink more orange juice. As Christians, you know, and, and maybe some of you aren't, aren't facing this oppression, and, and we, we talked about this a few sermons ago, how Christians, we, we don't feel like we're too persecuted in Australia, but... In reality, Christianity is not celebrated in this world. How do we get through this life? It's knowing that there is an end. It's knowing that the destruction and, and, and the oppression, even in this world, even what we face, let alone what these Christians face in you know, North Korea and China and, and, and Africa, and you know, like there is an end to this suffering. And it's with God. And that's something that, that, that knowing that gives us hope to get through what we need to get through today. Secondly, uh, not only is there an end, but there is a distinction. The bowls of wrath are clearly directed to those who reject God's rule and choose to worship the beasts. Revelation 6, 9, they were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. I said, what's amazing is even through this, these plagues of, of, of suffering and pain, the, the, they are so anti-God. They are so anti-God that they, they choose not to worship God. The same stubbornness that we saw from Pharaoh in Egypt is seen in these unbelievers. And at the end of the day, they will face the consequences of that rebellion. But this is only for those who reject God. This, these bowls of wrath, these punishment is not for 
God's people, Revelation 15.2. And I saw that, uh, and I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the, the number of its name. See, justice is served not just for the... Uh, Justice is served not just for the wicked, right? Justice isn't just for the wicked that gets punished, but it's for the good that have endured. They will be saved. There is a clear distinction between those that choose God and those that reject God. So not only is there an end, and not only is there a distraction, but finally, there is a warning. Revelation 16, 15, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains closed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. And people like to use this verse a lot to scare people, but you've got to read it for what it is. God is saying that when I return, and I will return, I will come when you least expect it. When will this happen? When will the final battle happen? You know, people have given up their lives trying to determine this. You know, you hear these crazy stories of like signs and wonders and look, the, the, you know, Jesus is going to come back on April, you know, 11, you know, 1983. You know, I don't know why I chose that day. This is my birthday. You know, like, you know, like, and, and, and so people are like, yes, Jesus is going to come back. I'm going to sell all my property. You know, I'm going I'm to do all this and this. And then they stand there waiting. And they wait and they wait. And, they became, and April 11 becomes April 12. And then April 12 becomes April 13. And they start looking a bit stupid. Right? People are so obsessed with wanting to know what the future looks like. But God tells us that we will never know. He says, I will come like a thief in the night. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't know any thieves that announce their time of arrival on social media. It'd be interesting, right? Like, they literally come when you least expect it. I, I, I have this theory, right? And it's a theory. It's not a biblical theory, just a Steve theory. I'm like, I think God's going to return on the day. We've got, what, 7 billion people on earth, right? God's going to come back on the day that no one in the 7 billion people thinks about God coming back, right? It's like, and then as, and then as soon as I think about that theory, I think, oh, God could come back today. Well, thought about it. It's not coming back today. You just don't know. But the point isn't, when is God coming back? The point is, are you ready? Are you ready for God to come back? Can I, you know, like some of us, if God was to come back today for the sake of redeeming earth and taking his people back into heaven, if God was to come back today, some of us, this is hilarious, right? Because we're talking about heaven and eternity, no suffering, no tears, no pain, you know. We're talking about heaven. And, but some of us, if God was to come back today, you would be annoyed. You would be annoyed because you have plans for tomorrow. 
Some of you are like, but I'm not married yet. God, how can you come back now? I'm not married yet. I've been dating for 15 years. It's like, dude, you've been dating for 15 years. You don't deserve to be married. You know? Some of us are like, I haven't watched my kids grow up. Some of us are like, I, I haven't finished my degree. My hex debt's like $110,000, God. Actually, if your hex debt is $110,000, it's like, Lord Jesus, come right now. But, but that's the thing, right? It clearly shows us what planet we're, we're living for. It clearly shows us what's important in our lives. Because if God was to come today, and if you're like, God, I'm annoyed. Can you come back tomorrow? Because I've got things to do. Suddenly, you're asking the question, what's more important? God's heaven or your plans? See, when you do that, you're indirectly making the call of when God will or won't come. But God gives us this warning. I will come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains close so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. The warning is that we all need to live vigilantly. God might come back. But here's the thing. If God came back, if God came back and you had to stand before God and you had to explain to God what you did last night or what you were doing last week or what you've been investing into in your life, would you be bold or would you be shamefully exposed? Don't live your life thinking that there will be no consequences for the decisions you make. No, Scripture tells us very clearly that every single one of us will need to account for decisions and choices that we have made in our lives. And don't live your life, and this is another funny one, right? I'll go to church just before I die. I'll believe in God just before I die. I'm going to do whatever I want. As long as me and God are good right at the end, then I can go to heaven. And my question to that person would be, wow, do you know when you're going to die? You're amazing. Because how many of us actually know when we're going to die? None. You're willing to risk your eternity with God? Your eternity. Not just another lifetime, not even two lifetimes, but an eternity. You know, when you map out eternity on a, on a piece of string, your life is not even a dot on that line. But you're willing to risk pleasure and self-centeredness in this little dot to give up the rest? Friends, if God was to return today, ask yourself, would you be found out? Would you be exposed? Would you be found naked? Or would you be prepared? And the honest answer is here on the camera at home. doesn't matter. If we're all honest, none of us are ready for God to return. Myself included. None of us are ready for God to return. And some of us would even get annoyed or even angry if God was to return today. But we've got to put things back into perspective. This is a very little part of eternity. 
This is like when you go camping for three days, you don't take every piece of furniture in your house and go. You don't take paintings off your wall and go to your caravan and put it up in your caravan for three days, right? That's ridiculous. No one would do that. But that's how we live our life on earth. Scripture tells us very clearly there is an end. Scripture tells us very clearly there is a distinction between those who worship God and don't worship God. And Scripture gives us a very clear warning that God will return. Don't be found out. So the question is, what will you do? What will you do? You can't say no one ever told me because I just told you. You got no excuse. Go to heaven. Oh, but God, I, I went to the chapel, Sydney, and uh, I had the pastor. I had this pastor there called Pastor Steve. <sighs> he was rubbish. Didn't tell me anything. Didn't tell me anything about this stuff. No, nope. it's all on YouTube. <laughs> okay, it's all being recorded now. You got no excuse. You got no excuse. So you got to make a choice. And I know some people are like, I'll just make that choice next year. And I'm like, well, what if you die? And I hope that none of you do, but what if you do? Because you can't control that. You can't control life. But you can control the decision today. You can control who you choose to honor and worship today. And I pray that you would know which side of the war you want to be on. I hope that you choose the winning side because that's God's side. Let's pray.